The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. There certainly is a lot going on. I encourage you to pray um, for us uh, this week. The church has got an incredible honor of hosting a discipleship uh, conference, and there will be over 100 disciple makers descending upon our campus Um, encouraging one another, uh, diving in deeper, seeing what the Lord has for us as a movement, as we believe that uh, some of the things that we're doing um, is really the answer what the church needs to be engaged in and really what Jesus uh, taught us to do. So we'd appreciate your prayers um, as what we would say in discipleship, a a bunch of spiritual parents descend uh, upon our campus this week. And so it's going to be a lot of fun, but a lot of extra work for us, a lot of extra activity. So we'd appreciate uh, your prayer for us uh, this week. I love to parent. Amen? Yeah, if you got kids, I love parenting. Um, I love my kids. I love watching them grow. I love them, watching them go through changes. Um, I, I look at Joel and Jonah a lot, and um, you know, I'm teaching them how to do things in life. Uh, I've trained them how to run a, a zero-turn mower without tearing things up this year. They've got them a job. They're working and mowing a pretty big place, and uh, <laughs> like, there's been a lot of a lot of challenges over the years with this mowing thing, like. Bro, you missed a line right here, you know. A lot of, but that, I don't have to do that anymore. You know, they've, they've learned. I, I'm reminded of when they were little guys, little bitty guys. We had a fifth wheel, and I, I mean, when I say little, I'm, I'm talking Shay's boy's age, you know, the older two, uh, maybe even younger than that. Um, and I was working on a, a fifth wheel at the time I had bought and was trying to uh, fix it up and do a little thing, a few things to it. And, and uh, so I'm out at the shop, and Joel comes around, and I'd been working on these, these wheels uh, on this trailer. And Joel comes, and he says, uh, uh, Dad, uh, I think, <laughs> little bitty nice, says, Dad, I, I think you need to come check on Jonah. I said, what's he done? What, what is he doing? He says, well, let's just say you're probably not going to like it. <laughs> and so I go around, and sure enough, he's got a spray paint. And he's painted all the wheel, and he thinks it looks great. And so what do you do? Not a whole lot you can do, but kind of teach him a little bit about responsibility. And you you can't do that. You don't have the authority to do that. And so throughout their lives, I've found that the most challenging thing about parenting is teaching kids to be responsible. (laughs) Like, if somebody empties the trash without me saying it, I'm like, whoa. Like, there's responsibility just happened, and that happened this week, man, and I was so encouraged. The, the, taking, the, taking the bins out to the road, I didn't have to say anything, so that's movement, and that's development, but it's, the, it's really one of the most challenging things about being a, a parent is getting kids to be responsible for things. And the older they get, the more responsibility we want them to take on, and so the earlier we start, the better. Now, here's the interesting thing. I found that to be the most challenging thing about pastoring, too, is to get people to be responsible for things, responsible for what the Lord wants them to be responsible for. The king has given us a kingdom responsibility. And so I think it's good for us, even as parents, sometimes when we get a little bit frustrated with our kids, to look to the Lord and go, Lord, how am I doing this to you? 
Like I see that my sons here are causing me some frustration. It's hard for me to be patient sometimes. I'm sure, Lord, that I can look at some areas in my life where I'm probably doing the same thing in your, to you and our relationship to you as you are my heavenly father and I'm your spiritual son. And so there's something to grow and understand, man. When our kids are more responsible, what do they get? More freedom to do things, to, to be like more trust. We can trust them with more stuff, more decision-making because they've proven to be responsible. The same is true for us in the kingdom. The Lord looks at us, and that's why he says, he who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. And so he's looking for that responsibility um, that we are to have inside the kingdom. Now, in our text in Acts chapter 13, which we have a lot of text, okay? And so I'm going to be rolling through this stuff because I've got a lot to do today, okay? Um, I saw a video that they said TED Talks, you should do 15 to 20 minutes. I, just, I don't know how I'm going to get that done. And then, but I, when, as I read a little bit more about the person saying that, they only give a speech every 15 minutes and they're not, or every, every three months. And so they, they were blown away that pastors had to write a speech every week, which is not really a speech, it's a sermon, and I'm losing time talking about it, so let me get going. <laughs> uh, it's, so in Acts chapter 13, like, what is our kingdom responsibility. That's what we're going to talk about today. And so when I say, what is our kingdom responsibility? Um, think of it in, in these terms. It is to come to know and grow in Christ. That's the responsibility we have. It never stops. We don't get in and then all of a sudden, it, you know, we're done. Corey, lower the temperature about three degrees. I got somebody doing this and I feel the same way. I can't do this. Okay. So you're good. Don't stop. Don't stop. Just keep going. Um, and so I got somebody else not doing it. I'm losing time. Help me, Lord. Uh, so, so anyway, so what is our kingdom responsibility? Well, now I've got this whole other thing I've got to do based upon last week. If you weren't here with us last week, I went into, you know, for several years we've been talking about, it's always been the plan to change the exterior of the building, um, to deal with it, to sort of tell the story of what's happening on the inside. Um, to, to say, send a message to the community about um, the story that God is writing on the hearts of people inside uh, the building. And so I, I talked real quickly. If, I'm, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, okay? So you need to go watch last week's sermon if you, if you weren't here. Um, but I talked about the journey, and I talked about how um, I worked with an architect. Now, now, you have to understand that I've been praying about this since I moved to, to Overland Park um, going on eight years now, okay? So I've been laying this before the Lord for eight years. Then started meeting with the architect, and I was praying for the architect for, for like an extended amount of time before he started even on the design. And then we start to meet with him, and he comes up with the concept. We go, whoa, yeah, that really, that really, set, that really changes the way the building looks. And uh, so, again, real quick, we'll go through the slides here. We got a couple just to, these. You want to see more of it and hear more about it, you can watch next week. Um, so that's kind of the concept. Next slide. This is what it looks like at night. We can really spruce up the building. Next slide. You can change the colors for different times. You can do some really cool stuff with it. So it really, bam, like here we are. Okay. So then the report came back. Like we said, okay, like this is good. I need to know like what, like I've given him a budget between 50 and 150. Um, so we let it out to, for preliminary bids based upon rendering, not construction documents. 
And it came back that that east part, just doing the east part, which we threw on phase two and three, um, but doing the, just the east part was a little over 175, 175,000, so it blew our budget out. Um, and then the whole thing to do north and south and east was like a little over 400,000. I'm like, geez, okay. And so what did I do last week? I, I tell everybody, I don't know what to do, all right? And then I cracked a joke, okay? It's, th- these, are, these are fun Sundays. So I cracked a joke. Unless there's one of you who give $100,000, then, then we would see that the Lord was moving. Okay, so anyway, went on through the rest of the sermon. After service, somebody walked up to me and said, I'll do 50. And 10 minutes later, somebody said, I'll do 25. And there are two people outside of the church that are contemplating right now what they will do, which leaves all of the rest of us. And so... Right now, I'm not going to take time to go into saying, it is the Lord. Like, like it's very clear that I, we are in a place as a leadership not sure what to do. And the Lord, much like what we studied in Acts, Barnabas came through and he brought some money and it helped them in a, in a very strategic time when they were trying to figure out things. This is what's happened for us. And so the, like the plan now is to develop a plan to go forward. And so uh, we're going to be doing that in the next two to three weeks, and I'll be sharing with you how you can get involved and, and be a part of what the Lord wants to do at OPCC, which is absolutely amazing. And so um, just like, if you want to talk some more about it, we can talk later. Um, you can have a lunch with me, whatever. But I, I need to kind of bring you up to speed and let you know, just hold on. We weren't expecting this. The Lord um, is kind of leading us in it. And so now we're, you were trying to get our ducks in a row, and there'll be more information coming in the future, but you just need to plan on we're moving forward. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to be responsible with what the Lord is doing in the kingdom and what he's calling us to do. And so we got to figure out how to do that. So whenever we think in terms of what is our kingdom responsibility individually, we're talking corporately as a church what God is doing in our midst. And so as we think through, okay, what is um, our responsibility on a daily basis? Well, again, it's to come to know the Lord and come to grow in the Lord. And so as we think through that and we look at Acts chapter 13, what we have is a model for kingdom responsibility. And, and it is this whole come to know, come to grow, okay? Come to know and grow in the Lord, helping others do the same. This is what Jesus said to do is the mission of the church. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So that is the mission of the church, coming to know and coming to grow in the things of the Lord. And that's what he's asking us to do. So that involves a lot of sharing of, of what's happening in our midst. That's why we do different events and give opportunity to be strategic about you having opportunities to share about the spiritual things that are going on in your life. You have a kingdom responsibility. Okay? You have a kingdom responsibility just like and at home our kids have a, a family responsibility to do certain things to keep the home moving forward and everybody taking in on responsibility, you have a kingdom responsibility to do certain things, and that is to share the good news of the gospel. Like, that's that's everyone's responsibility. That's not just the pastor's responsibility. Everybody has that responsibility who's come to know and come to grow in the Lord. So as we look at Acts chapter um, 13, beginning in verse 14, going all the way through 52... Woo! We're going to get there, all right? But we're going to go fast. I'm going to read this, try to kind of like see what's happening, 
and then we're going to summarize it. Then I'm going to give you some takeaways, and then I'm going to let you go home because you got to grab some lunch and then watch Patrick Mahomes do work, right? Okay, so here we go. It says that um, from Perga, and now remember again, they've been charged by the church to go on this missionary journey, so they're, they've left the, the, the Antioch, and they're heading out to do the work of the Lord. They've been sent out. From Perga, they went out onto Poseidon, Antioch, and on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. And after the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them saying, brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. So they go to the synagogue and they are given an opportunity uh, to speak. So standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and he said, men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt, and with mighty power, he led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance, and all this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel, the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. And as John was completing his work, he said, who do you think I am? I am not that one. No, but he is coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and the rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him through Gal from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I've become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead never to decay is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. 
Okay, so this is Paul's sermon. It's the first sermon Paul preached that we have a record of. It's the longest and most complete sermon of Paul's. Okay, and what happens? He goes into the synagogue, and we see that it, now it, certainly he said a lot more. Luke is summarizing in this. He said a lot more than that. And so they, they have this experience as they go into the Jewish synagogue, and they share with them. And then it says that in verse 42, after Paul concludes that message, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. Like, bros, we want to hear some more about this. Come back next week. When the congregation was dismissed, so they let them go, as we do, and many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. Boom, movement was happening. The Lord was already starting to move upon some of these people. Remember what we learned last week? Anytime the Lord is moving, we will always face opposition. So it says, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Wow. Like, that is a move of the Lord. Like, everybody is, like, talking about this. And when, now watch what happens. When the Jews, and this is those Jewish people who are in, uh, uh, like, authority in the synagogues, they're the, the elders, the leaders, the Pharisees, the people in that town who were responsible for leading this synagogue. When the Jews saw the crowds, what happened? They were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. They didn't even stop to consider the truth. What did they do? They just reject it because they knew they were losing power. They were threatened. Their identity was all messed up. And so they got into a battle with Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred people up, and they stirred up the persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. you got to leave here. You're out of here. You're not welcome anymore. So they took the dust from their feet and pro they shook the dust from their feet and protest against them and went to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And so, man, like there is a lot going on here in this text, okay? A lot. And so just to just to summarize and look at it as a as a model for responsibility. What does Paul do first? He goes into the synagogue. Okay, And he goes into the synagogue intentionally, and, and this is pretty cool when you think about it. What did they do in the synagogue? Every week in the synagogue, this is what happened. They would come to the synagogue, and they would recite the Shema. That's something we teach in discipleship. What is the Shema? It's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. That, they would recite that. Then what would they do? They would have a reading from the Mosaic Law. So they would have a reading from something from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, um, Deuteronomy, something there from the Levitical law. They would have a reading from that. And then they would have a reading from the prophets. And so they would read from one of the prophetic books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, one of these other books they would read from. And then they would invite, they would have a rabbi who would stand up and speak. What's that sound like? Sounds like church, doesn't it? So like when we think about what we're doing today, it's rooted all the way back into the Jewish synagogue. I just read a passage of scripture. 
Now I'm giving commentary on a passage of scripture. What did Paul do? He took and he threw the story of Jesus. He threw Jesus back to the Old Testament. This is extremely important for us as a Christian apologetic. Is that we have to understand, and again, if you want to see how spiritual forces in dark places work against the, um, the things of God, what is one of the number one things that, that people, younger, immature Christians would say, or people who are claiming to be Christians and walking in this grace? That is Old Testament. Like, that doesn't apply anymore. Without the Old Testament, Jesus is not nearly as miraculous as he is. Like everything in the Old Testament is all about Jesus coming in the New Testament. We, so what does Paul do? He lets look at the history. C.S. Lewis says it this way. God, he hammers out and, and, and uh, like the people of Israel were chosen and used sort of like an anvil to hammer out his story through history to all of humanity. That's why we call them the chosen people. What are they chosen to do? Tell the story of God. What did they reject? The story of God. Okay, and then some of them, that's what Paul is telling them. He's throwing Jesus back to the Old Testament, and he's saying, look here what's going on. He says, they made, the, the Lord made a promise to our fathers. And, and, and so I want you to see how easy it is to start to make a defense for the faith and help your friends and loved ones who may be considering Christ or thinking about it. This is kind of what you do. You talk about how he made a promise to their early fathers. You go all the way back to Abraham. He said he made a promise to Abraham. He made a promise to Isaac and all of these other patriarchs of uh, the, the nation of Israel. Then he led them in mighty power out of Egypt. They went in and got in captivity of Egypt. He raised them up to a great nation. They, he endured their conduct for 40 years in the desert when he led them out. And they were up and down in their obedience, up and down. And he endured um, that time with them in the wilderness. Then after that period, he overthrew seven nations in Canaan to do what? To give them land. Look at is like Israel is so important to the story of God. Even to this day, there's still a land battle going on because the land was given by God. Because when we look at this, um, he says he overthrew the nations in Canaan to give them land. This took 450 years. Then he gave them judges. Okay, so we, we have the judges um, like Samson and the other judges uh, that, that uh, the Lord raised up all the way to the time of Samuel. What was Samuel? Samuel was the last judge and the first prophet. What was the prophet to do? Communicate the word of God to the people. And so Samuel led them until they demanded a king. So they wanted a king, so God gave them what they wanted in King Saul, and he led them for 40 years, and it was a very painful time because they were forcing things that God had not said was, was time. To happen. That's, I, I go back to this building and I think about how we've arrived at this place of trying to do this thing. Like, could, could we have tried to do it on our own at any point in time and just said, let's raise the money and let's get, go borrow the money and do it? Yes, we could have, but we were trying to be sensitive. When is the time of the Lord to do something? And so this is when we look at Israel and they say, no, we want that king right now. They got that king and King Saul, he gave them to them and it caused them a lot of pain and heartache as a nation. And so what did God do next? He removed... And gave, he, did, he removed what they wanted and gave them what they needed in King David. And what was it that, that, that King David represented? If you, if you were watching or reading along with me as I was reading that passage of Scripture, he said he, he, David was a man after God's own heart who did what God wanted done. He was responsible in the kingdom. He was, he was concerned about the will of God, not his own will like Saul was. And so he removed him and he gave them that man after God's own heart who did what God wanted done. And then he promised in that descendant. Okay, this is happening over years and time and history. Like these promises are all coming. Why? So that the Messiah, like when he came and showed up, you could say, that's really him. He did it all. 
Like he did everything that the Lord said or that God prophesied through his prophets would happen. And so he promised David a descendant who would deliver and to be a savior. And so then we go all the way through all the prophets and we get to Malachi. And I think Malachi prophesies about a, a, like Elijah will come again. 400 years we get to the interbiblical period. From the time of Malachi to the time of Matthew, God is not doing anything. We call it the, uh, the interbiblical period, period, the silent years. God is not saying anything. No prophets are being raised up. And then all of a sudden, there's a miraculous birth that happens around um, this, this, uh, uh, with uh, um, Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zechariah. Boom. Jesus' cousin is John the Baptist. He's raised up as a prophet, and everybody start following, following him. Well, what was that prophet that was the, that, that, that one prophet said Elijah was supposed to come, and Jesus said, what about John the Baptist? I tell you that he's already came. That was, the, John the Baptist was that spirit of Elijah that was to come, and what did he do? Prepare ye the way for the Lord, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And what do they do? They come and say, are you the Messiah? He says, no, I'm not even unworthy to untie his shoes. And he points to Jesus, just like was prophesied in the Old Testament. And so, so here's what Paul is doing when we read his sermon. He's having the same discussion that I'm having with you with the Jewish people. And he's saying, look at this. Just look at all that is happening and what God said would happen and what Jesus did. And what did they do? He says, he says this message, brothers, is ours. It is ours. God came and he gave it to the Jewish people. But the rulers didn't recognize it, he says. They condemned him, and in so doing, what did they do in that condemnation? Fulfilled prophecy. It was prophesied that they would do this. They found no fault, and they requested execution. And when all of the prophecy was fulfilled, Paul says to them, they buried him. What happened? God raised him, and he hung out with many of the witnesses that are now talking about him being alive like myself and Barnabas here. We've interacted with him. And so he says, it's good news. He didn't decay, and through him, forgiveness is available to all. What the law could not do, God did, brothers and sisters, and it's a miracle. And those who are appointed to eternal life believed, which means they came to know and grow. And so when we look at that, and we, we see there's a, a, several other things happening here. But just summarizing all of that and going, whoa, that's what was going on. What is our kingdom responsibility in light of that? Like, how does that apply to us? Well, here are a few things that I think if we would just start doing, we would not only come to know God deeper and grow in our relationship with him, the kingdom would move in ways like we're celebrating what happened last week. Because somebody's listening to what the Lord is asking them to do, which is what we always challenge people to do in discipleship. Listen, I don't care anything about being a large group of people that's just trying to do something that helps people out. I don't care about that. Like you could go to the United Way and do something like that. You could go and volunteer at the Boy Scouts. I'm trying to reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ for the hope of the salvation of their eternal soul. Like that's what we are, we are a church. And the most important thing in our lives has got to be Jesus because that's the most important thing about the kingdom. And our schedules need to revolve around that. Our, our lives need to revolve around that. Our finances need to revolve around that. Every decision that we need to make needs to be laid before Jesus. Why? Because he is the king. And this is his kingdom, not yours. 
And that's what he's, so what, is it, what do they do? Well, they seized an opportunity and they went where that opportunity was at. And so that's a responsibility for us is to go, man, there's going to be opportunities this week for me to share my faith with other people around me. What is my faith? My faith is my story and what the Lord has done in my life. And just knowing, like, I believe, in fact, that Jesus Christ um, was dead, buried, and rose, rose again, and that he's coming in the future, and, and I'm a part of his kingdom. Why? Because of the sacrifice he made on the cross, and he has invited me to be a part, and I have said yes. And so they seized that opportunity. And not only did they seize the opportunity when Paul went into that synagogue, like, he knew This is what I want you to see. He knew there would be an opportunity there because in the synagogue, guest rabbis were always asked to speak. This is why the Lord called Paul to be the savior or the the apostle to the Gentiles and and to speak to the the, the Jewish people and show them the error of their ways. He couldn't have been more clear. Paul was raised up under a rabbi, one of the most um, famous rabbis of their day, Gamaliel. And so when they see Paul show up, he's like, we got to hear from that bro. He's one that can really challenge us. And what does God do? God totally flips his, uh, his life up, upside down, shows him he's thinking wrong. And, and Jesus interacts with him and says, Paul, I'm about to do a whole new work through you. And so now he goes into the synagogue knowing he's going to be invited to speak. And what does he tell them? Everything you're believing is wrong. Jesus is the only hope for Israel. He is the Messiah. And we crucified him. And so he knows he's going to be asked, and so he, he goes in and he seizes the, the opportunity, but he also seizes it with authority. He says, what? Listen to me. Listen to me. He's, so he's coming at them and saying, man, he's coming through, like, what does Paul say? He says, I, I preach not uh, with, with, with eloquent words, but with the power and demonstration of the Spirit. And I believe that as he got up in the synagogue, man, their, their minds were blown, and that's why they wanted to hear him next week, because they hadn't heard anybody do that before, because he was preaching under the power and demonstration of the Spirit. And they knew that there was life available in that. And so he, he spoke with authority. And so what do we got to do is we got to understand that there are opportunities that are going to come before us. We seize them and we speak with authority. The number one, people, the number one reason people won't share their faith is why they're afraid. No authority. That's why we have got to be committed to discipleship because people have got to learn how to walk in authority and quit being spiritual weenies. Amen. Like that's what the problem is with the church is we got too much like political stuff going on and too much like just distraction and people not focused on who they are in Christ and what they can do for the Lord when they walk in the authority of Jesus. We've got to seize those opportunities and we've got to walk in authority. Then, then what, else, what else do we do? We start where people are and we show them where we, they need to be. We have to understand that one, people don't know where they need to be. The, the Jewish people didn't know that and Paul is coming in and he's helping them to understand that. Okay, and so what, what we have to do is walk in our authority and understand that we can see people where they're at and start there in our journey because we can remember in our stories where we were at that same place. Like, my testimony always goes, it doesn't start with, oh, well, I'm a pastor and I help people grow in Jesus and I teach the word. No, man, my testimony goes back to, I didn't care anything about the things of Jesus. That's my story. And what am I doing as I'm trying to see people where they're at in their journey? 
And so we always start where people are, and we start, that's what he did. They, man, as he was talking through our, like the, God chose our people, and he delivered them in Canaan, man. Those Jewish brothers were there, and they're in the synagogue, and they were like, come on, man. Amen, amen, amen. And then when he got to the one part, he said, but we killed him. They were like, whoa. So he started where they were and showed them where they needed to be. So that's what we do when we're sharing in our journey is we're not afraid to share the hard truths, but we always start in compassion and empathy where a person is, and we start where they are and help them to see where they need to be. People are eager to hear the good news. They heard the good news, and when they say, Paul, come back, we want to hear some more of that. And it was evil opposition that shut the whole thing down. But it didn't shut it down before some disciples were left behind. And that church started to thrive, and Paul and Barnabas just kept going on and spreading the message of the gospel. Here's the third takeaway. Own the message of salvation. you got to own it. Do you own it? Do you know and grow? Like, do you own it? Like, you, you, you can't say, well, my dad owns it or my mom owns it. It doesn't matter, man, that Jesus is going to look at you and say, do you own salvation? Do you know me? Are you growing in me? Have, have you allowed me to set the Holy Spirit fire in your life and let your bones burn with truth? Are you living a lie like people who don't know me? Come to know, come to grow. We got to take that salvation and go, man, that is mine. It is the most important thing. Like people are going to go nuts hearing about um, an hour. They're just going to go crazy over this football game. That doesn't mean a hill of beans when you're laying on your deathbed. You're not going to be thinking about Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and are we going to win today. You're going to be thinking about who is Jesus and what have I done for him? What does my life measure up? How does it measure up with the grace that God has entrusted to me? Have I been an obedient follower of Jesus or am I just living like everybody else in the world? Like, At what point in time do we say, man, Jesus conquered death and he's asked us to conquer the world. What am I doing to help him conquer that territory that he wants as his own? as he advances it through other people. And when we see that, man, we go, whoa, I get to be a part of that? It shifts our whole perspective. Instead of being afraid, we start going, man, this is my, this is my kingdom responsibility. Instead of being lazy and going, I don't want to take out the trash, I realize, man, if I start learning how to take out the trash, then maybe I will be entrusted with a greater responsibility in the kingdom. You see, he who is faithful in Little things will be faithful in much. So they own the message of salvation. And then we have to proclaim what people can't do, Jesus did. There's so many people in our, in our community who think that how much they give to uh, uh, worthy causes or uh, how much they go to church or just that they're nice to their neighbor, they think that's okay. Like, it's not. It's the same thing these Jewish people had a problem with. They were trying to live out what the law taught. And the law was given specifically to show them that they could not get it done. Paul tells us that. Like the law cannot do what Jesus did. And it's to show us that we need somebody to come do what we are not capable of doing. And so he becomes the Lamb of God who lives a perfect life. He doesn't break the law. He fulfills the law. And then he is sacrificed as all those lambs throughout all that time they sacrificed and saw all that blood spilled on the altar. They are reminded as we look at Jesus, we are reminded that it is to show us that those animal sacrifices can't do what a human sacrifice did. That's why he rose from the dead. Death couldn't hold him because the law, uh, the, like, the, like the sentence and the curse for, for, for sin that came on uh, humanity was death. And so anybody who sins has to die. 
Jesus doesn't sin, but he dies. Why? Because he takes on our account. And he dies in our stead, but death can't hold him because in, a, in a, a, just a, a, a justification sense and looking at it from a legal standpoint, he is innocent. He's just accepted the penance of someone else, and so he's in our stead, dies, and so death can't hold over him because the curse is incapable of keeping him down. And so we see that we proclaim to people that you can't do it with your good works. You can't do it with how much you give. You can't do it with how much you serve. You can't do it with what church you attend. You can't do it by being Catholic. You can't do it by being sprinkled as a baby. You can't do it by going to this church. You can't do it by going to that church. You had better have had an encounter where you've fallen before your face in front of Jesus and said, I can't do it, Jesus. I need you to help me. That's what it means to be born again. And repent as a sinner is to understand religion will never get you where Jesus will take you. The third, or the, the last thing before we get to the uh, big idea is be responsible for the delivery, not the decision. What did they do? They, they shook off the dust of their feet when those people that they shared all that truth with would not accept it. And what does that mean, man? Well, interestingly, Jesus told them, and I think it was Luke chapter 6, that when you go into a house, if they don't accept you and you leave that town, if that town is not favorable to you, take your sandals off and shake the dust out of your, um, off your feet and, and move on to the next town. What is that about? Like the Jewish people would do this to the pagans. And when, whenever they looked to the Jewish leaders and the people who were opposing the message of Jesus and they shake off the dust in front of them, they say, they're in essence saying of them um, that they, they, are, they are not worthy to be called Jews. Like, you're worse than a pagan, okay? And then they just move on. It's a very powerful um, thing that, that, that they do, but they don't just like sit there and debate them. Like, here's the thing, man. There are always going to be people around us who are not appointed for eternal life, and they have rejected the gospel. They've rejected it. And they're going to be divisive when it comes to us sharing the truth. And what we can decide to do is get in a debate with them and try to prove to them they're wrong. But what Jesus says, man, just shake the dust off and move on and find the person who is appointed for eternal life and share the good news with that individual. Don't get beat up over that stuff. Don't freak out about it. Don't let it get you all tripped up and stirred up. Just man, move on because not everybody is appointed for eternal life and we're looking to spread the gospel with those who have been. And so here's the big idea. Be responsible. Like, we're responsible for the delivery. We just deliver and we move on. And, and again, there's, like, we do it in compassion. And, and we're looking for peop, these people, like, that were eager to hear it. Like, they, they, they didn't shake the dust off toward them. They were hanging out with them. They were sharing with them. They were doing life with them. And then we just move on. But we, we have to be responsible. Here's the deal. is the crux of Christianity is the arrival, the resurrection, and the return of Jesus. Like, we're good at celebrating his arrival. That Christmas, man. Let's turn everything upside down. Let's redecorate our house in honor of the king. We're good at celebrating his resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead. I'm going to be in church this Sunday for sure. The king is coming back. Like he's coming back. And those who are sold out and they're following him are anticipating his return. 
Like I yearn for it. It is the most like it is the most important event in my life that, that could possibly happen is the return of Jesus. Like I'm living as if I believe Jesus is coming back because I'm anticipating that him coming the first time happened, him rising from the dead happened, and I believe he's coming back. And so what does he call me to do? Be about the kingdom until I die or he returns. Now, just to close this message out, and I know it's strong, but hey, I'm just a messenger, right? Let's look at what Paul says, and I'm just going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Just in light of everything I've just taught you, about what happened and what kingdom responsibility means. Listen to what Paul says to us. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us up with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.